So I've had a stomach ache for the past two days. How are you doing? Um, uh, we are, or I'm concluding today. Uh, this is the last sermon I'll give here at the church. Uh, next week, uh, there will be some farewell things done. Um, so I won't be preaching. I might give a little meditation at the end, but I'm told it's going to be short. So it's not going to be a sermon. So I've had a stomachache all week, and, and, and it's not because I'm nervous to preach. I love to preach. It, it's just something in me is like it's ending, and blah, there's a lot of emotion around it and, and, and all of that. Uh, so it's been uh, uncomfortable. Uh, but we are going to end the way we have started and continued together. We're going to end by looking at Scripture and letting it address our lives. Uh, we've been doing this for the past few weeks. We started with who God is. Most fundamentally, at the core, God is love. It's, it's not that he just does lovely things or does loving things. He is love. His very nature is best described by this one word, love. His being is love. He is that he is love. And he loves you. And he loves me. He chooses people as the objects of his devotion. He's a creator God. He, he, he probably likes the trees, right? And he enjoys pandas. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a panda, right? Uh, but he's absolutely head over heels, fully committed now and forever to people. And that includes you and that includes me. He is love. And we are wise to be receiving that love every, every day, every minute of every day, just living open to, to God's presence and his activity in our lives. Now, last week we looked at um, Jesus' primary message, what he said. And his message was, was simple and complex. Simply, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God's love is near. Uh, he said it's in you. He said it's among you. Uh, and then he described the kingdom using all kinds of parables that are as simple as they are profound. He said it's like a little seed, the mustard seed. It's tiny, it's insignificant, but when it's planted, it grows and there's room for everyone in the tree that it produces. He says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that, that someone finds hidden in a field and they sell everything in order to have that treasure. It's like the pearl of great price, the best pearl you've ever seen in your, in your whole life and you sell everything in order to have that pearl. And that is the kingdom of God's love. That is the discovery that God loves you, that he is love and that he loves you. It's the discovery that we can live within a different kind of realm this kingdom of God where we are loved no matter what. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of, of, of satisfaction in the deepest part of our beings. Today we conclude by discussing the upside down nature of this kingdom. 
God's love sounds wonderful. It's the living in the kingdom of his love sounds just glorious. The problem is that it runs counterintuitive to what we observe sometimes with our eyes, what we experience in this world. In fact, the kingdom turns the world upside down. It's opposite the way of this world, and it even opposes at very critical junctures this world itself, the way this world functions. The kingdom of God's love is upside down, opposite, and contrary. Jesus wants us to know this, so he opens his great Sermon on the Mount with the best sermon introduction I've ever heard. This arresting, attention-grabbing description of the people who are blessed. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Imagine hearing this for the first time. This great Jesus, this healer of the sick, gathers a crowd. Not because he's trying to gather a crowd, but because he's just that followable. He's that love. He's it. And so people follow him all the way into the wilderness. And, and he finds a spot to teach them and thousands array themselves around him. And, and he opens his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor. Most happy and blessed are the, those who mourn. In a good position are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now that will get your attention. Because it is absolutely upside down from what we think of as a normal happy person. A normal happy person is a, is a rich person who's not mourning, who has power and has filled. Uh, I was holding uh, Eva at the beginning of, uh, during our welcome time, and, and, and someone said, How are you, Eva? And Daudi, Eva's dad, says, Chubby and happy. Right? Chubby and happy, that's a blessed person. 
a chubby, well-rested person. And Jesus says, oh, no. Blessed are those who are poor and mourning and powerless and hungering and thirsting. Why? Because the poor will get the kingdom of heaven. Inevitably, because those who are mourning will inevitably be comforted. Because those who have no power will actually have all the power. They'll have the whole earth, Jesus says. And those who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, for goodness, for to, to be better, to be right, will be absolutely overflowing with it. And he just says this as a matter of fact. He says this, this is the way it is. Blessed are the poor. They get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the powerless. They're going to get the earth. How can he say this? He can say this because he knows God. He can say this because he knows who God is. He knows that God is love. He knows that because God is love, a person who is poor in spirit will gain the kingdom of heaven because God is love. Because God is love, those who mourn will inevitably be comforted. Because God is love, those who have no power will be given power. Because God is love, those who are hungry and thirsting, not having, but hungering and thirsting for righteousness, will receive it in full. Why? Because of who God is. This is the upside-down kingdom of God. The poor, mourning, meek, hungering, are not in a bad state. They're in a blessed state because God is love. The second four Beatitudes describe the way people who live in the kingdom of God's love will look. They're not going to look impressive, but they're going to be called impressive by God. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, people who are one thing. P people who are becoming refined by God's love and becoming more and more just one pure, refined, 100% thing. They'll get to see God. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers the ones who stand in the gap. The one who make things right in this world. They're children of God. And people who get persecuted because of Jesus, I mean because Jesus was persecuted, people who start reflecting Jesus' love because they're, re they're receiving Jesus' love, they're going to find opposition. And Jesus says, you're in a great state when you're being called names and getting kicked around and being killed because of me. Rejoice. Be happy. You're supremely blessed 
That's how they treated the prophets, so of course, it's how they're going to treat you. This is the upside-down kingdom of God. God is love and blesses those who are in what we would consider to be unfortunate circumstances. So inevitable is his blessing that they are blessed even before they receive a thing. As we receive the love of God, we become more and more the blessed of God. We will begin to naturally show mercy. We'll become more and more one thing. We'll become the peacemakers. And as we live in this way, we will face opposition. This is the upside-down kingdom of God's love. The kingdom of God is also opposite this world. The kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God, the things that can be seen are secondary to the things that cannot be seen. You talk about opposite. This is not the first materialistic world. This is not the first materialistic generation. This is not the first materialistic country. We're all materialistic. We've always been materialistic. The kingdom of God is not materialistic. It's opposite that. It's more solid than that. It's eternal, not temporary. How about this from Luke 12? Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set, you, who set me to be judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Okay, hang on just a second here. Dude comes up to Jesus. And he's got a real life concern that will affect the rest of his life. He's obviously not the elder brother because the elder brother is in control of the inheritance, the estate. Uh, He's a younger brother and the parents have died and the estate is in the elder brother's hands and the elder brother is supposed to, but not obligated to, kind of cut off a chunk and give it to the younger brother. But he's not doing that. Remember, these are, these, are like, um, these are days where your land is kind of everything, right? If you've got some land, you can eat. If you don't have land, you kind of can't eat because food comes from the land, right? So this guy is, is coming to Jesus and saying, look, there's this great injustice going on in my family, and since you seem like a really good and loving man, I think you're just the guy to be the arbitrator between us. And Jesus refuses. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. This just seems harsh. This guy's got to be crushed, right? I'm not being greedy. I just want what's due me. I mean, I don't even want half. 
I just want some. <laughs> I just want an acre or two so I can provide for my family. I just, I, it's not greed. It's just a matter of justice, Lord. But then Jesus goes on and drives home his point. He says this parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And the man thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. No, wait just a second, a second. Again, a second, another second. This whole thing just makes me want to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, right? Because the parable Jesus gives is also completely illogical. It's, it's opposite. What did this farmer do wrong? <laughs> what, what did this farmer do that was wrong in any sense of the word, right? Is there any immorality in what he's done, right? I mean, he had a bumper crop. Good for him. It's great, right? We like it when the bumper crop comes in. And, and, and he reasons like a good farmer would. I don't want my crops to just lie in the field over the winter and the rain and the sun and be ruined. Because that's what happens, right? You leave your crops on the ground and they will be destroyed. Nature just does that. The reason you put crops into a barn is to preserve the crop, thereby providing food for your family and, and grain to sell to others that they can feed their families. So the farmer does, to me, a very wise thing. He makes bigger barns so he can store all this grain so none of it goes to waste. What did the guy do wrong? What did the guy approaching Jesus do wrong? He just wants fairness. He just wants justice. He just wants what's coming to him. What did they both do wrong? They were both living their lives oriented toward the world of what can be seen. They were both totally consumed with and consumed by what they could see, what they could manage, what they could touch, what they could hold, what they thought they could preserve. The, the farmer in the, in, the, in the parable is just, he's, he's wealthy and so he concerns himself with his wealth. And when he gets even more wealth, he even more concerns himself with more of his wealth. And, and what he never did was contemplated what is not seen. And so when God says, your time is up, what's going to happen to your wealth? His answer has to be, it's lost, it's gone. 
If I'm dead, that wealth means nothing to me. It's nothing. Both people are orienting their lives toward only what can be seen, not what cannot be seen, not what is ultimate, not the kingdom of God's love. You and I have won the life lottery. Oh, dear people, look around the whole world today and consider the fact that when you were born, you were given the golden ticket. Acknowledge that. Will you please, with me, just acknowledge that you were born with me holding the golden ticket? You're born in a land during a time of prosperity, in a land of opportunity and prosperity, probably born into a family with at least one parent who loves you and sacrificed for you, fed you, clothed you, got you educated, and able to make a way in this world. Not just a way, but a wealthy way in this world. You've been given the golden ticket to life in this world. And like the farmer, we often consume ourselves with the burden of soaking up as much of it as possible. With producing more. With storing more. Or like the man approaching Jesus, of getting our fair share. Getting what is owed to us. No wonder we're stressed out and miserable. Do you know why you're stressed out and miserable today? It's because you're rich. And I ain't joking. You are stressed out and miserable today because you're rich and your eyes are on your riches. If we were to choose to live in the kingdom of God's love, we would consider property, wealth, status, an afterthought. It, 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 would, it would be like an interruption <laughs> in our day of, of joy and living in light of, of the love of our Father who is in heaven. The world of total security is the kingdom of God's unending love. The kingdom of God's love is opposite of this world's kingdoms. This world's kingdoms are built on what can be seen and hoarded, and the kingdom of God's love is built on what cannot be seen. The kingdom is upside down and opposite. Finally, the kingdom is contrary. It's not just opposite the world. It, the kingdom of God's love flows against this world. It, it opposes 
the ways of this world. The world tells us to promote ourselves and defend ourselves. The kingdom of God's love tells us to abandon ourselves to God. And in so doing, to promote him. The world tells us to keep up appearances. How many of our homes and lawns look more beautiful than our relationships with our family members, our neighbors, and our God? Keep up appearances, people. Right? That's the world's message. The kingdom of God's love enables us to live authentically, honestly, and focus on the things that last. The world tells us to get as much as you can. Jesus says it's happier to give than to receive, it's just happier. This list is unending. I close with what I think is the biggest one that distracts us these days. The world tells us that being right matters. The world tells us that what you think, your opinion on things, is really, really important. You will never be asked theological questions before the judgment seat of God. God's not going to ask you your view of the atonement. He's not going to ask you to describe the Trinity. And he's certainly not going to ask you about your opinion on gay marriage or whether you should be a Democrat or Republican or, or, or whether you should do this or that. Your opinions are not going to matter to God. So, so, so why would we ever choose to decide that, that that is what matters most in this world, what we think, and getting our thoughts straight? When Jesus was talking about the, the, the end of all things and the judgment of all people, he didn't say what's going to happen is we're going to separate the sheep from the goats and here's how we're going to find out who's sheep and who's goats. We're going to quiz them. We're going to test them. We're going to see if they were right or if they were wrong and the right people are going to go to heaven and the wrong people are going to go to hell. No, what did he say? He said, look it. You sheep, you good people, you people who are entering eternal bliss and happiness and satisfaction, rejoice. You're coming with me in heaven. And they were surprised. He said, what's up? He says, you're getting to heaven. You know why? Because I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you were with me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison <laughs> and you visited me. And they say, what, what in the world? When did we ever see you in those positions? And he says, whenever you do to the least of these people, you're doing it to me. Come into my, my glory. And what? No questions? No theology exam? No, no discussion of Muhammad versus Jesus versus Buddhism versus, you know, all, really? But I have a degree in comparative religions. No, you just did right. You loved, and God is love. You lived within the kingdom of my love, and so of course you're going to live in my kingdom of love eternally. And to those on the other side, he didn't say, look at you were a Democrat, I'm sorry. 
you committed your life to it, you know, and you were right. <laughs> or you were wrong, <laughs> whatever. He just says, look at I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was lonely and, and you didn't hang with me. I, I, was, I was stuck in jail and, and you didn't come visit me. We didn't see you, Jesus. Well, whenever you just abandoned the people who were hungry, you abandoned me. And whenever you just abandoned the people that were lonely, you abandoned me. And, and so clearly you're not with me and you're not with me. So you're not going to be with me. That is so contrary the ways of this world. It takes extraordinary horsepower to drive in opposition to the world in this way. Within the stream of shouting and ideas, and you're right and I'm wrong, and you're right, to just plow up that stream and treat people well it takes an extraordinary amount of effort if we're doing it by our own power. But if we're living in the kingdom of God's love, where God says, I love you no matter what, now and forevermore, and we're just feeding on that every day, every day, we're going to look at the yelling and be like, you must be so sad. I'm sorry that you're so upset about this. We're not going to shout back our opinion. We're not going to insist on being right. We're going to feel sorry for people that are so agitated and so miserable in this world. And guess what? It's going to become easy. Because we're actually living within the kingdom of God's love and, and loving the way God loves. Because as I shared last week, to receive the love of God is to breathe out the love of God. To be receiving of God's love inevitably results in, in, in setting forth the love of God. What you breathe in, you inevitably breathe out. And so as we receive God's love, we will inevitably share God's love. And so on that final day when the kingdoms are judged and we're judged, we're, we're going to be overwhelmed, dear people. The spectacle before us, whatever it is, is going to feel so overwhelming that we're going to feel unworthy of any of it, of a nod, of a wink, of a pat, of a smile. We're going to be on our faces before the resplendent glory of God. And he's going to pick us up and he's going to say, well, come on in then. Not because we did anything impressive or had any right opinions. But because we've been receiving and we've been living in light of the love of God. And, and we can keep doing that forever. That's the good news. We can do that forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Oh, the kingdom of God's upside down, isn't it? It's opposite. It's contrary. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus.
transform our hearts by your spirit. Soften our hearts so that we can soak up your love. Enable us, God. Enable us to know and receive your no matter what love that that we can live happily, joyfully, peacefully. May we find our membership, God, not in any kingdom of this world, but in your kingdom. Your upside-down, opposite, contrary kingdom. Oh, Jesus, teach us how to live. Jesus, teach us how to think, how to speak, how to act. Arrest us with your presence and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.